I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Others lock up your sons. The fangirls are busting out all over. It's Fangirl Radio. Fangirl Radio. the fangirls on jackalope radio hey everybody and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of the fangirl radio show i'm your host jessica dwyer and with me tonight are my two lovely and talented co-hosts miss rachel t moore dibs on talented (laughs) yes because you can't be both apparently to rachel you can only be one or the other (laughs) well there are two of us so one of us is clearly lovely and one of us is talented and we wow. all know who the lovely studly one is. It's Mr. Carl Duty. <laughs> it is Mr. Carl Duty on his first episode. My first episode. Awesome. So happy to be here on Fangirl Radio with you guys. Very excited. We are very excited to have you. So um, this week we have a lot of we can get to get through. We have two episodes that I need to recap because they were amazing from television. And I also have a movie recap to go over with the awesome Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. And I believe Carl has some comic books to talk about, too. I got some comic stuff. Yeah. So let's get to it. Um, So I'm going to start with the TV recaps because that's how we roll. And I just have to gush a little bit about Hannibal. Oh, my God. It's so, so good. It's so good. If you're not watching Hannibal, you really... I I just don't know what to tell you because they are going through the Red Dragon storyline and they're doing it in such a way that it's, it's very, very cool how they're utilizing what they've already established in this universe while still keeping intact the Red Dragon um, storyline and just the, the acting that Richard Armitage is bringing to this is so heart wrenching and beautiful. And it's just, amazing to watch it's so 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 good and i don't think um rachel has seen this last episode yet have you no i'm episodes and episodes behind what's really cool is that nbc has a um app that you can put on your phone and so usually i watch episodes before bed but i've been really tired and i haven't had a chance to watch much tv but what's nice is i think they have the way they do it is they have um a handful of episodes unlocked at a time. So right now I can't see, I want to say episode four and I can't see the very most recent episode because it's locked. And then after a certain amount of aging, it unlocks for you. Otherwise they want you to sign in with a, a, an account of some sort. Um, Well, the thing with this latest episode of the show that 
I'm I'm loving that they're actually showing is what happened with Abigail and Hannibal. Uh. And it's really, really disconcerting to watch um, because of her relationship with her father. And just it, it's kind of telling, too. I like how it, it shows the kind of twisted father-daughter relationship there. And then you kind of mirror that with Francis Dollarhide and his twisted relationship with his, I believe it's either his grandmother or his mother. I don't, I can't remember. I think it's how, supposed to be his mother. I think it's his mother in this. And it's, it's interesting because Han, you can tell that Hannibal actually loved Abigail. Or he believed the closest Hannibal can cl- come to love. Right. And it's just really beautifully done. And um, this episode, which is called, and the woman clothed with the sun also introduces us to Rutina Wesley, who, if you watched true blood, played um a major major character uh in that and uh she is now in um in this is reba mclean who is the one who um the woman who francis dollarhide ends up in love with and yes it's tara uh, from true blood and she's she, a great actress she's nailing this it's so well done she's doing really well playing blind um, so also I got I got to say how much I'm loving Alana Bloom in this and how they've made her the antagonist for Hannibal instead of, um, Frederick Chilton, which is the case in the, in the books. Right. Chilton's still around, but Alana playing a cold calculating woman is just amazing what they've done with her character. And, and, um, as I've talked about before, uh, um, Brian Fuller said the reason they made this this change was specifically to allow her to shine in this instead of just being kind of like the girlfriend character, which she kind of evolved into. Uh-huh. That's why they changed it up this season. So it's it's amazing to watch. Really good stuff. And Carl, are you a Hannibal fan at all? Have you seen any of this yet? I do not watch the television show. I am interested, however, on what your take would be, since this is the second time we've seen the the Red Dragon character on film. Mm-hmm. And obviously, there's the history in the book, so I'm curious as to for the both of you as to what your how would you compare the two performances? Well, actually, there's Wait, three. It's a third there's time third time of Manhunter. Right, Manhunter had Tom Noonan. I forgot about Manhunter. Yeah, Tom... everybody forgets about Manhunter. I don't. No, Grissom <laughs> no. jumping through an entire plate glass window for no damn reason. Will Gr- yeah, Will Graham jumping through a plate glass window while Anna Gata Devita plays, and it's the <laughs> and it's the first time either actor had seen each other in while filming. That was well, a big deal. That was the first time they'd seen each other, and I they specifically love, did that on purpose. I love Brian Cox's take on Hannibal, too. Yeah, and it could have happened. It would have still happened in silence if he hadn't been doing a play. Huh. Um, I don't know. I, I really love Tom Noonan, and I loved um, uh, Ray Fines. Yeah, I always want to say Joseph. I don't know why, probably because it's easier to say, but I loved Ray Fines's um rendition of it too but richard armitage is just so good he's he's bringing such a there i think part of that though is fuller is is giving more he's he's allowed more time to really evolve and he's making it such a physical performance too because we know brian loves the pretty guys and he's able to film them really well um 
but like the scene that they show in this last episode where he's going through this transformation and the the use of the film footage and things like that Brian Fuller and and Richard Armitage are creating together just a beautiful character and a beautiful transformation of Francis Dollarhide. Has Thomas Harris um, weighed in on this at all? I don't think so. I was just curious what he thinks because it is kind of one of those odd situations where the person who created these books is alive and watching these. And I haven't heard anything about that yet. So um, I haven't heard anyone say anything um, that he's said, you know, if yay or nay on it. Um, but I just know that what they're doing and some of the, the shots that he's doing of of Richard Armitage in this, like this episode, he he grows a tail and it's it's crazy and it's painful and just amazing stuff i i i really really love it and it just makes it all the more sad that it's going away now so yeah it's depressing but really really good and still worth watching and i believe both Season one and season two. If you have Amazon Prime right now, you can go and and watch them on there for free. Um, they have the entire both first and second seasons streaming, which is also where, by the way, Vicious is at. Rachel, I know I was so mad at you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought it was on Hulu. <laughs> I have but, like all the streaming services except for Amazon. Um. So. The other uh, episode that I wanted to talk about because this season is just knocking it out of the park is The Strain. Uh, Carl and or Rachel, do either of you watch this yet? Because you should be. I, you know, I love Guillermo del Toro, but I can't deal. I can't deal with the subject matter of The Strain. It's not zombies. No, it's not zombies. It's something just as bad. I can't with that. It's vampires. It's vampires. And they're really, really good. Um, and also, I got to... Um, I interviewed... I like I Carl inter- answer. Oh, Carl. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I'm getting no, on it. I'll get on a tangent. Go for it. I'm kind of in the same boat with Rachel. Is If it's like zombies or vampires, I'm just kind of burnt out on them right now. And I think it's kind of interesting with the with the exception of obviously walking dead that i think we're kind of starting to see we're just right after the peak of the whole zombie and vampire thing i think we're starting to see a slight ever so slight decline in everything being either zombies or vampires so you but, have no but i've heard do you I've know heard good things about the strain the strain about- is different than any other um, vampire series that you're going to find. And that's mainly because of Guillermo del Toro and Chuck Hogan, who wrote the books. What What's neat about The Strain is the fact that it's the three-part series of books. One Part one starts very heavily based in science. So you start with the Center for Disease Control, finding this plane very much like in Dracula where a ship lands and the plague starts forth from the ship. Um, in the second book, the you, you realize that science and, and the supernatural aspects are starting to mesh together and that they just can't destroy it with science alone. And then in the, the last book where everything has gone to complete hell, it all goes back to the supernatural and the myth. 
and it's a great arc and the and the way the vampires are made and this plague aspect and how it's all based around you know infection and and it's just so amazing and how he also does the entire um the the aspect that it's a, a man that has been fighting nazis he's a, a holocaust survivor is fighting these you know these e- this evil where one of the vampires one of the main vampires is one of the ex-nazis that he used to deal with and it's just such a neat concept and how they deliver it is so well done and so different um because these vampires don't look like you're they're not the romantic you know i love you i love you these are vampires that are going to kill you eat your children or turn them into um, mindless drones for the good of the master and it's 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 a complete departure from your typical um vampire lately kind of mythos it looks kind of gory though like it looks oh um, it's it's completely disturbing which I think is really great for a certain for like for certain viewers, but it's the kind of thing that like I think I made the mistake of I tried to watch an episode whilst eating. Um, it depends. If you're eating spaghetti, I wouldn't suggest it. Um, <laughs> but um, I actually uh, it was really cool because just recently I interviewed Guillermo del Toro for this, and um, in this season it's really cool because he's been directing parts of the episodes and this last one started it was so neat for like the first five minutes of the episode Guillermo del Toro directed this fake um luchador movie like the old school (laughs) Samson movies um only this one was called the silver angel where he's taking on vampires like the Samson meets the vampire women that was done by MSD3K a long time ago. Um, it was a re it's a fake version of that and, and del Toro directed it and it looked like an old throwback and it was just really, really cool. Um, and he'd done that previously this season with the prologue that you found out how the master came to be. Um, and Dougie Jones was in that as the original master, of course. He's played two. Of course. He's played we two We love roles. Dougie. Um, so in this episode, we are introduced to the Silver Angel, who is the luchador in that movie. Um, and he's kind of a broken man. He's, he's washing dishes at this Indian restaurant. And that's where Gus finds him. And he recognizes him because he's a fan of him from when he was a kid. Um, so you have that um, they're setting up, which I, I know a lot of people have read the books and they know kind of what's going to happen with those characters and things. Um, it's going to be sad. Uh, and then you have uh, another flashback to Satrakian and um, P- Palmer back in the day when they're doing their searching. And you find out how they broke apart as a, as a team. And um, then then you have the really, really, really creepy blind kids that were turned into vampires called the feelers, which are like some of the most, oh, I actually have a problem with those. They are so creepy. They're so creepy. Um, and that's for me to say is just, that's something. Um, but, uh, and also in this episode, you get a little bit more of Fett doing his thing and he gets arrested at the end of the day. And it's just, 
it, it was just a really, really awesome episode, and I really enjoyed this the season so far. It's just been so good. It's it's definitely it, first season was great. This is better. And if you have not started watching The Strain, you can catch up. There's only been like I think four episodes now this season, and we've got um, let's see, eight more left. I think so. You can catch up. You should. It's really, really good. So, should we move on to Rachel had something that she oh, talked about? I was just curious if either of you were watching The Whispers. I I'm completely and utterly addicted to The Whispers. Go on. So, The Whispers is the show. Um, it actually has a lot of people from other genre shows on it. It has um, the redhead from Cabin in the Woods. It has Milo Ventimiglia. It has. Um, the Stevie Nicks witch from <laughs> the Stevie Nicks witch. <laughs> no, you know who I'm talking about from um, American Horror Story Coven. Lily Rabe. That's who you're yeah, right. Lily Rabe. I'm sorry, I couldn't think of her name all of a sudden. Stevie Nicks but um, <laughs> what? Stevie Nicks witch. She was the Stevie Nicks witch. I loved her in that se- that that um, series. But uh, it's it's this. It started out we're kind of getting into the thick of it now because um, it's a show where children are hearing these whispers that are getting them to do things like murder their parents and um, get secrets from their parents who work in high ranking positions. And um, it's been written off as kind of imaginary friends or, Um, And you're not sure what it is, if it's a ghost, if it's whatever. And we're far enough in the series now that this is a spoiler, but it's not really a spoiler because I think they're even kind of alluding to it on the, um, the promos. But um, we found out that it's an actual being. It's an energy alien. It's an alien that's made out of energy and only children can hear it. And, uh, and Milo Ventimiglia, which we haven't quite figured out how or why that worked either. But um, it has a really great uh, pacing. It's a lot of fun. It's seriously unsettling without being crazy gory or, um, I mean, sometimes it walks right up to camp, but in kind of the way certain X-Files episodes did in that, um, you know, it, it, it kind of recognizes at some point that okay, this is ridiculous and we're going to treat it really seriously. So it's based and, off of a Red, Ray Bradbury story. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it has that kind of wonderful Ray Bradbury feeling where, um, you know, it's just kind of unsettling. And it ha- they do a good job of not revealing too much every time, revealing just enough of the, what's happening Um without, you know, giving it all away and it kind of becoming passe. And it's been so much fun. Actually, um, my boss got me to watch that and Stitchers. And um, Ian and I were like, yeah, we'll try it out. We're looking for new and stuff. And we're completely and utterly addicted. Well, and it sounds like I, I, I went and looked up something because I was curious because I know Lily Rabe plays in American Horror Story, which is mm-hmm. starting to film. And I, I was curious to see if she would be able to do both. And it sounds like she, if, if it actually is picked up for a second season, she's only going to be in a limited number of episodes because of that. Right. Well, and the, the way that it's really a ensemble thing and um, 
the way it's done, you know, she's she's kind of involved because she's a child psychologist, and for other reasons. I mean, the the plot is pretty thick at this point, but um, it wouldn't be a horrible blow if any of them were gone for multiple episodes because now we're exploring the fact that this alien has been here before um i got bad news for you what they let the uh, contracts expire for the cast yeah i mean it it may not get picked up and the truth is i don't know that that it's necessarily a bad thing because the way that the story is there's only so far it can go i think so, but it's it's worth watching, even if it ends up being one series. It's really a lot of fun, and I think it's the kind of fun that you don't necessarily, you don't have to be a horror fan to like. It has a really good suspense element, and I the cast is clearly having a fun time, and it's unsettling. In this last episode, um, the, one of the characters is sitting in the car because she's made a deal with the alien to kill somebody in exchange for leaving her child alone. And the way that that whole thing goes down is super deeply upsetting. And she's sitting there having, with the gun in her hand, sitting in the car and it's raining. And this little girl comes up to her in the car and is like, what are you doing? Do you live here? And she's like, no. And she's like, well, you should be careful because it's raining. And then she looks at her and she goes, my friend said that you're losing your nerve and you're running out of time. Yikes. (laughs) Well, and I like that. Oh, so it's got a little bit of a Twin Peaks feel to it almost. Yeah, it doesn't though. It it totally, I, if anything, it has a little X-Files-iness to it, but it doesn't, I mean, it's kind of hard. Um, it's not as interesting as a t- Twin Peaks. It's more suspenseful. Is Well, it say. has two people that I really like in it, which is Dee Wallace, who is amazing mm-hmm. and always plays a mom and she always yeah. plays the best mom. <laughs> And um, Alan Ruck. <laughs> so it's got Cameron from. Cameron. Yeah. <laughs> Cameron's not in it very much. You know, it's funny. He's been in a couple things recently. He was where they kind of slid him into episodes. I was catching up on Masters of Sex. And I'm he's in like two episodes of it as like such a minor character. He, he's not even, his face isn't even on camera for most of it. Oh. And I'm like, but I'm always like, it's Cameron. You know, you know what's funny? Do you, do you want to feel really old? Cameron Alan Ruck is fifty nine years old. Oh. Cameron from from <laughs> Ferris Bueller's Day Off is almost sixty. Well, okay, then how old was he when he was making Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Because he certainly wasn't high school age at that point. Then no, so, no, oh God, no, no. I think he yeah, actually so. was in his thirties when he made that. Okay, that's now. But if he was like, you know, high if he was, yeah, I think he was almost thirty because it was nineteen eighty six. When Ferris Bueller's Day Off came out, doing yeah. maths, doing maths. Yeah, no, I, 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 as I recall, he was the oldest one in the cast. Yeah, but he so, still looks like that. He really does. He's like one of those stars that just doesn't age. Uh-uh, like no. you could put on the Red Wings jersey today and be like, "All right, man, this Cameron." Let's, I would let's love do, that. <laughs> let's do Cameron's Day Off. <laughs> let my Cameron go. So, Rachel, let me let me ask you this then. For the series The Whispers, do you feel that, I mean, obviously, uh, we mentioned that the contracts aren't being renewed, so it's very likely it won't get picked up for a second season. Does it seem like it's going to be a self-contained story for the first season? They or could do that like, very easily. Yeah. I'm not sure how many more I know episodes what, there are, but they, 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 everything has steadily progressed to the point where if they wanted to wrap it up, they could do it pretty happily. 
Yeah, because the, the big new thing that I think we're seeing with a lot of shows now, particularly genre shows, I mean, obviously we saw it with Hannibal and we saw it with Constantine, is that, you know, if it doesn't work out on one network, they're shopping them around to other networks. Because genre shows will always have a somewhat of an installed fan base. Well, and I think that they saw the enduring appeal of, I think as they've seen the enduring appeal of the first season the very uh, original Star Trek and Firefly, if, you know, Netflix and Hulu had been around when Firefly got canned, we'd still have it. And that's just the truth of it, because um, they know those numbers. They know exactly how many times people stream those things, you know. Well, and the other thing is like Hannibal, for example, um, we already know that Brian Fuller and the crew are like, we will come back. Mm-hmm. If this gets picked up anywhere, we're going to come back. Um, but like this week, Hugh Dancy just got booked for a Hulu series, another one. And a lot of people are really sad about that. But at the same time, we know that he and all of the crew from Hannibal would be more than happy to come back for this. Um, I also think that, you, you know, in the world of Hannibal, there are big parts. I mean, in the series, Will Graham, it seems like he's intrinsic to it but the series is called Hannibal well the other thing about that is well the that, other thing is that if they go through the progression into Silence of the Lambs Will Graham isn't even in that right and I think the other the other component to that is you know in Britain it's pretty normal I mean they're making an abfab movie right now there's um I just marathon watched this series that Sarah set me on to called uh, Miranda and it's been off the air for at least three or four years, maybe five years. And she's talking about doing another series of it. So, you know, there there is precedent in the English-speaking world for returning to things. Like Doctor Who? Yeah, what about that? <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and so I don't think that time is necessarily... I mean, look at... They know how many people are waiting for Sherlock. You know what I'm saying? Well, like... Well, and the other thing really quickly about Hugh Dancy, because I, I have to talk about the series that he's doing and um, on Hulu, which is going to be interesting. It's called The Way, and it's actually really closely based around um, the entirety of L. Ron Hubbard and Scientology. And I think that Dancy is actually playing the L. Ron Hubbard character <laughs> in it, and it's going to have Michelle Monaghan and Aaron Paul in it as well. Um, who are joining up to this the the way cult? <laughs> is it gonna? Do you, does it look at all like? Do you remember um, the master? I, I'm sure it's gonna be very similar, and but it's it because it's basically based around the same thing. But um, they just signed up for it, and it sounds like it's gonna be really, really, really good. So, I'm big, big question: Will Tom Cruise or John Travolta be in it? I doubt it. I highly doubt it. Oh, but, it but it would be funny to see if, if they ever do one. Because I, I think it's going to be set in the 50s, maybe. If, I don't know if it's going to be current. Um, but it would be interesting to see a movie that's set in the current time that is speaks about Scientology and who they would get to play the Tom Cruise character. Because, you know, he wouldn't do it. Oh, God, no. Get Christian Bale to do it again. Yes, true. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. I would be okay with that. Um, so speaking of Tom Cruise, I saw Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, 
and it was it was good now a lot of people are saying that it was it's been the best one so far and yada 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 and how it was super super great it was enjoyable it was fun it was good it was a good movie but i i don't know it felt kind of half-ass um and i know that's gonna sound weird because i actually enjoyed it but you know the the toast just had a link to somebody um, breaking down um, the trajectory of Tom Cruise's career. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's not like this was a horrible film. Part but... of it that what they talked about was that he it's a solid it's a solid movie and it's a blockbuster, but they feel like it was very purposefully to reestablish him as a block, blockbuster making actor. Yeah. Well, the thing is, in this movie. They're really, and this sounds so goofy to say, but the last movie, we we got to meet um, uh, Jeremy Renner's character. We got to, you know, we got reestablished more with Simon Pegg's character, and the. But with this, it just sort of was like, boop! Here they all are, and Alec Baldwin. Who wrote this one? Um, I mean take a look because I'm curious um, because this movie it, it kind of forgot the fact that his character Ethan Hunt was actually married you right know? Um, I did like the fact that they you know I did like Rebecca Ferguson who was the lead female lead in this but her character was uh, she was sort of objectified a lot, but not as much as you normally would have, which is great. She was a very strong character. She was a very badass. But it was almost like they were trying to recreate the Avengers with this movie in a way because she was very Black Widow. Like some of the moves that she does was very Black oh, Widow. I went right to the British Avengers. Is that really telling? But like Jeremy Renner sort of shows up and – um, you have insert random British guy here to be the bad guy. Don't I mean it just felt very, very more formula than anything else ever. So it just felt kind of like a paint by numbers picture. Oh. You know, the picture that they're painting is something you want to see, right? And on an entertainment level, is enjoyable. There's nothing new that you haven't seen here before right what i liked about ghost protocol was we got to we got to spend more it felt like we had more time with the characters and also brad bird um did a great job with the movie um this one um was actually directed by and oh here's there here you go um it's actually directed by and written by the guy that did jack reacher and edge of tomorrow i really like jack reacher I haven't seen it yet. Um, I mean, Tom Cruise did a great job in the movie, and it was a great movie. But okay, from the Jack Reacher fandom, there was a lot of problems because he's neither tall nor blue, blonde. But um, but there, it's it's a great flick. I, yeah, I would recommend I just, it. It just felt very paint by numbers, and nothing major. You know, like I really, really loved Ghost Protocol. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed that movie, just because you know we. Renner. Is that because you're a you're a peghead? Though? No, I actually like Jeremy Renner way more in, in Ghost Protocol than I did Simon. I like I like them both, but I like Jeremy Renner more. He had more character there 
this when he sort of came along and i think part of the two is brad bird is a super super great director and he really can get enjoyable performances out of people and not and it's not make them cookie cutter you know yeah uh, i mean I, I really i really enjoyed ghost protocol as well i feel the mission impossible movies um up to ghost protocol just kept getting progressively better now i know i'll catch a lot of flack on mission impossible 2 which is my personal favorite but i'm, I'm Scott, quite, right yeah I'm, okay i freaking but love i can one. i differentiate between what my personal preferences and what i acknowledge as being better right so like i can't make a strong solid argument for mission impossible 2 being a quote-unquote good movie but i can sit here and say as far as entertainment value goes that's the one that i enjoyed the most now, i could not agree with you more i i can't remember is that the one where felicity john, has john that? Woo directed that yeah one. yeah no yeah. that's okay so the one that i'm thinking about that has one of the most horrible deaths i've ever watched on camera which is the one where felicity's brain basically explodes that's the third one that, right. that yeah, three, yeah. I, I can't even remember the third one but the second one for one, they had to Gray Scott, who's like one of the most underrated actors, and he took a super camp, super ridiculous role and made it just so much fun to watch. And John Woo, there's something about the over the top, like we're just yeah. gonna make this awesomeness of it. I didn't like the third one. I just can't. I couldn't there get into him. Flips and rolls. For no earthly reason, <laughs> At some other point, than like, hashtag Mike motorcycle John. at each other while doves fly by. It's like the most John Wooey film yeah. ever wooed. It's it's so like over the top, and that's why I like about it. Uh, Dugger Scott, and actually, fun fact: it's because of Mission Impossible Two that we have Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Exactly. Oh yeah. It was going to be Do Gray. Yep. Doug Ray Scott was cast as Wolverine all set to go, but then he broke his leg filming Mission Impossible 2 on like one of the last couple days of shooting or something. So they had to get Hugh Jackman. Well, and I got I to gotta bring up too, and, and the second one, um, Richard Roxburgh, my boy, who mm -hmm. played an amazing Sherlock Holmes and also a great Dracula um, plays in that. And, and then in the, in the third one, you have another Dracula. Wait, wait, wait you have you're another not talking Dracula. about him as Dracula in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, are you? We're he wasn't Dracula. Her. He wasn't Dracula not, in that. He was more no, I mean in, um, the, the horrible one with Hugh Jackman. Oh, that was Van that Helsing. Was, that was Van Remember, Helsing. Remember, I, like, I, that's like... I can like, understand how you can get those two movies confused, though. It's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were. They came out pretty close together you know, and tried to basically I, rip each other off. So. I seem to remember I wrote pretty scathing reviews of both of them. So but um, I love the fact that in the extraordinary gentleman caused Sean Connery to retire from acting. It was so bad because <laughs> he was going to kill the director. He was going to uh... kill him. But I love the fact that in the third movie, um, Jonathan Rice Myers is in that. So you got another Dracula. And then that's the, the third movie is the one where we meet Benji Dunn for the first time. And he saves the day. Everyone forgets that Benji saved the day in the third Mission Impossible film. Not Tom Cruise. It was Benji. <laughs> Not Tom Cruise. Um, so I, I liked, I liked um, Rogue Nation. But... I'm not getting all the, the like the high praise of oh it's the best one ever. It's like uh no, I don't think so. It was it was good and it was fun, but it's not the best Mission Impossible film ever. I think um uh honest trailers nailed it when they said they they basically went through every movie 
and every movie has the same exact play out to it and exact plot points to it verbatim that yeah, they've ever there's, done. There's the over the top stunt. Yeah. He's got to uh, do that. You've got to have Pete, Tom Cruise running. Tom Cruise runs in every movie. But I don't go, I don't wait, go wait, to no, Mission Impossible movies for the plot. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I go, that's I go why for, the second one, like Carl said, the second one, critically, you, I can't defend it critically. But for yeah. pure entertainment factor, I've watched it multiple times. I've never watched any of the others multiple times. And you know what, Jessica, you remind me of uh, something my wife always likes to say because she is not a Tom Cruise fan at all. I actually, I like Tom Cruise. I like majority of movies he does. I can, I kind of separate the person from the role. Um, but she, she always says he runs in every movie. He runs in every movie. He did not run in Tropic Thunder. <laughs> Good point. He also and, did, he also did he not run in an interview with the vampire either. <laughs> there you go. An interview with the vampire in Legend, which he will not. He will not come up. He will not say that he did. He he's so great in it, though. He refuses to acknowledge Legend. He's so young and covered in glitter. Legend is my favorite Tom Cruise movie. That and Interview the Vampire, and he will not. He will not admit to Legend. I think I'm a weirdo. I like. I really like Interview, but I like um, Vanilla Sky quite a bit. Ugh. I'm probably gonna have to say Last Samurai. Really? Last Samurai. You know what I just caught the tail end of was Valkyrie, and I can't. I was trying to, in my head, come to count how many times Tom Cruise has died in a movie, and I can only think of Valkyrie. I don't know. Did, wait, did he live in the one where they're Irish immigrants? Yeah, yeah. far and away. Yeah, yeah he lived. he almost died. But yeah, okay, that's what I'm he had a head injury. Nicole right, Kidman like... gave him a magic kiss. <laughs> As Nicole Kidman will. I mean, um, she is like basically an outfit. So, um, so speaking of awesome running things, the Deadpool trailer came out. I am so ready for this movie. Oh my god, I need it now. I need. I need. I want to make out with this movie. I want to make <laughs> out with you, Deadpool. I want you. I want they did, you now. They did a couple really important things. One. They, um, well, I think it's a given they gave him a voice, but two, they let it be rated R. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't think Ryan Reynolds was going to do it. it. It had to be rated R because that's the only way Deadpool works. The third thing that I love about it is um, I, I did not, for some reason, it get, went under my um, radar. I love Marina G- Baccarin as the love interest. Well, and she uh, ends up coming back as a mutant. According to what I've read, which I find that interesting. Yeah, she plays. Uh, I think she's one she's of the copycat. Villains. She plays copycat. It's it. What what impresses me the most about the trailer and everything we've seen of this film so far is that it is a comic book film that appears to be extremely faithful to the source material self-aware of what it is and it's not a marvel film i know right. and and it's it's a marvel property but this is a a fox film 
all I could think the whole trailer was if they pull this off, then it paves the way for a Lobo movie, and then we can have Lobo versus Deadpool. That's like for some reason that's all I could think about. Well, and I I like the fact that it's because the last R-rated comic book movie we had was Kick-Ass, yeah. and and that was and and the first oh, I don't even count that as a comic book movie. Is that sad? But it is. Kinda, because it's straight up a comic book. Yeah, it, it well, is. Well, I, I, see, I can't watch. I it. mean, even even if it wasn't based on a comic book, which it is. I mean, it's it a John Junior Mark Millar comic book. It's it's a, it's everything about it screams comic book. But yeah, the second one was so bad. I just the the second movie. I wish I hadn't even bothered because the first one was great. Um, but I, I figured it out. The majority of that greatness came from Nicolas Cage just being insane and awesome. Yeah. Um, and it, it it missed him terribly in the second movie. And the the stuff with um, Jim Carrey just fell well, so flat. The problem was in the first one, they misidentified some things. They misidentified the heart of the movie. And the problem was that Nicolas Cage, for all his wackiness was the heart of the first movie. And they didn't have anyone who was the heart of the second movie because Kick-Ass is not really that kind of a protagonist. Um, whatever her name is. Hit-Girl. Hit-Girl is not... Chloe Mortz. ...is not a really developed character. And the bad guy is cartoonish and... There's no mo- moment where you really care about him. Well, so, yeah, I, we can't say we I can think, actually say his name on the show because it's right. It's a it's a bad word. <laughs> I think um, the the reason Nicolas Cage, you know, quote unquote, made the movie is because he was doing he was being Nicolas Cage to an extreme. He was being like Nicolas he, Cage he, as, he, as Nicolas Cage does Adam West. Yeah, he was. He was kind of. It's like he kind of became aware of all the jokes about him and all like the stereotypical Nicolas Cage things, and just did them to such an extreme. Yeah, but he played that part so you you can't help but love him. I mean, he is the heart of the movie. If you look at the, the person that you're rooting for and the person who has a moral center and the person who has something to lose or sacrifice, it's not kick-ass. <laughs> no, and, and also that kind of is partly due to um, the acting, too, because he plays kick-ass sort of bland. And you, if you're coming to a movie with Nicolas Cage, you have to make sure that you can stand out at least because you're going to get overshadowed. But I'm just saying, good or bad, it's it's gonna happen. There's warmth in Cage's performance because you know Jim Carrey's performance is great. It's you know it's it's a Jim Carrey performance. You know he's He's being a cartoon character though. Yeah, he's in it. He's doing the the Jim Carreyist performance, but he misses that warmth. And there's no point where you're like, yeah, this is the guy that even though he's he's the crazy person, I'm rooting for him. You'd never get that moment. Yeah, I I I, I just yeah, I, I hope and pray to God that this movie does well. It's coming out on the twelfth of February, so this is my Valentine's Day movie. It can't not do well. It it can. Yeah. Every it, I mean, so far everything they've shown us 
has been spot on. I know, but that doesn't mean that there's going to be a a audience. Yeah, we no, we are all going to go to. It's a February. I know, no, I know, but that there's also the fact that this is an R-rated comic book movie, and it's being and it's being dumped in February. So I know. Seriously, I'm I'm going to hope and pray everybody goes. But you've got to keep in mind. You've got Ryan Reynolds. It's an R-rated comic book. Movie. But I think that that's. I think that it's going to prove that there's a market for that in I a way that does. none of them have before. Because I've been burned before. Film. I have been burned before by people supposedly coming to the to to watch things and they don't. Hannibal, they don't come to where but they're supposed what? to be. But you know what? They part of the problem with Hannibal is that people aren't watching it on TV. They're watching it online, yeah. and that's a different. That's a whole and Hannibal, issue. Hannibal's on the wrong channel That's from true the start. Here's, here's the thing. I, I understand what you're saying, Jess, but yes, it's an R-rated comic book film, but it's also an R-rated Marvel property. And it's an R-rated Marvel property of a character who has enormous amount of popularity right now. Even, like, there's that character that comes along every once in a while that just snatches the collective focus of non-comic book readers or whatnot you know for a while it was venom from spider-man like everybody knew who venom was even though he didn't read spider-man and then it was harley quinn right now going on that character that everyone knows about even if you don't read comics is deadpool Mm -hmm. and they're showing you all the right stuff i don't think it's gonna bomb I, I, think, I hope I, it doesn't. I think it'll make money. In February, the fact that it's coming out in February, um, I think is is smart because right now, I think we can all generally agree that summer movie wise has become far too overcrowded. Well, and I think that I think February February is always dumping season, but I think they're doing it. Oh, they're doing it smart with it being in February too. It's 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 kind of a balancing act because that's going to give. Star Wars two months to dominate. Yeah, it's, well, they're kind of they're kind of hedging their bet. They're like, okay, we know this is probably a safe bet, but just on the offset case, we can put it in February, not make it like our summer tentpole film. Right. It's kind of like what Marvel did last summer with Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, they're like, okay, this is an unknown property. We've got a lot of credit with the viewing audience, but we're going to put it in August when the summer movie season is essentially over and see how it does. And it still did fantastic. Yeah. I'd also say that February is not a time where, you know, as many teenagers or young people go to the movie. So it's also smart to release an R rated comic movie in the height of date season. I, I, I'm going to ask to go to that for Valentine's Day. I don't know about you. <laughs> put, put the color red in your Valentine's Day. I don't even have to ask. He walked in last to the bedroom last night, and I was literally watching it on my phone, and he walks, and he's like, the Deadpool trailer was released. I'm like, you just interrupted me watching it. He goes, as you were. <laughs> what was really impressing me about Ryan Reynolds with this is how much he is just going – headlong into this as far as like selling the film you know a couple months back we had that thing with uh uh what's his name ac slater mario lopez on like acts of hollywood (laughs) (laughs) they did that thing where he like killed him 
And then last night they did a little bit on Conan where Deadpool's giving Conan a massage. Oh, yeah. And it's hilarious. And he's just all about this role. He's he stepping into the that, role. He's stepping he feels, into that whole self-referential thing, too, with this. Yeah, he's like, I got a lot to make up for with Green Lantern. <laughs> I love it. I love how he's breaking that the fourth wall and everything, too. Well, it's and it's great. it's the ideal role for him. And it's a great role because it's, a, it's the smart-ass but, you know, Deadpool's the one who lifts up his mask so that Hawkeye can read his lips. You know, Deadpool has a daughter. Deadpool, you know, he's a more complex character. So Ryan Reynolds knows that he can he can do his trademark Ryan Reynolds thing and still um, do the heartwarming, beautiful part of it. And that's important for a comic book because, you know, if you if you make it too trite, you've lost it. Well, and I, I think I love he's just a, he's a funny, funny dude. Ryan Reynolds is is charming and funny as hell. And I love the fact that he started opposite Nathan Fillion in Two Guys and a Girls in a Pizza Place. So you have Deadpool and the Green Lantern together in one show. Let's not talk about Green Lantern. <laughs> I don't the think good, you understand how much Carl loves the Green Lantern the and how good much I can Green Lantern. The tell good that Green Lantern. There, the good, there has been no good live action Green Lantern. Good animated Green Lantern. Good animated, animated. It's okay. Yeah, the animated ones are fine. It's okay. I'm talking about. It's the not animated. okay. I don't. I'm did talking you see about Carl's the wedding an- ring. I did. I did. It's Carl's the wedding animated. Ring. Let me. Let me brief animated there is no live action greenland there is i've seen it (laughs) so bad it got burned up in that fire it got burned up in the fire with star trek (laughs) five so carl i know um we're getting ready to run out of time here but i know you had some comic book news that you have to get through so come on bring it Today is, I mean, I know this is being posted on Thursday, but we're recording this um, on a Wednesday. And as many of you know, Wednesday is New Comic Book Day, the happiest day of the week. (laughs) So I hit up my local comic book shop, Queen City Bookstore in Buffalo, New York, which I'm also fortunate enough to be a part-time employee of. Love working there. It's a lot of fun. Um, so I grabbed my weekly books and I crushed through some of them tonight. So let's get right into it. First off, we have from Dynamite, uh, the new series of The Shadow, number one. The Shadow. Ooh. Yes. So and did, this, um, did Alex Ross do any of the art? I, he did not do any alternate covers for this one. Oh. Typically what Dynamite will do is at the end of the book, they will give you like a listing of all the alternate covers that are available. And that did not happen with this one. So he did not do any. I love, I've been buying the shadow books since dynamite acquired the character. And I always get the Alex Frost covers when I can. Uh, but this one still is a great first issue. It's a first in an ongoing series. They had an ongoing series earlier, and it just kind of ended, and they've been doing one-shots and miniseries since then. But this is the first in an ongoing series. Uh, it's written by Cullen Bunn, and art is by Giovanni Timpano, who's done some previous shadow art. I think he's got a new anchor on this one because the art looks a lot more flushed out, a lot more defined. I really like the art direction of this one. 
the shadow is going up against uh, organization of I'm just flipping third here to see it's like the organization of magicians like a Ooh. villainous league of magicians and they're trying to find out the secrets that Houdini learned when he passed away the secrets from you know the world beyond so it's a very solid first issue there's good action uh, there's good the dialogue is well paced and everything feels good about this I'm really excited about the second issue uh, the shadow has always been a favorite character of mine uh, my father introduced me to the shadow radio shows when I was a kid and I got like a big box set of those. So I've always loved the character. I love the dynamites doing a lot of work with all these old pulp characters and they're doing a lot of great work with them. They're doing dynamite work. You might Ooh, say. Funny. I, you love, yeah. I love the masks um, run that they did where the green Hornet and the shadow and I can't remember the, the there was, it was the, Green Hornet, the Shadow, spider. Was it the spider? Spider Zorro. Zorro, yeah. Uh, There's a couple others. Yeah, that was that was a good series. The it, I remember the story was written well, but I wasn't crazy about the art. I got really excited because Alex Ross did the interiors of the first issue, and I thought he was doing the interiors. I did of the too. Third. It turned out not to be the case. No, if it had been Alex Ross all the way through, it probably would have been like the best comic run of the year i think because oh yeah, my god he, i love his stuff I I, the last internals i think he did for an entire series i think was justice and that was i think coming up on 10 years now yeah i have a lot of those and i i even have those big size like batman and wonder woman edition things that he did yeah Yes, but he does mostly all covers now. But I hope he gets back to doing internals at some point. I'd love so to. the second book I have for us is a series that when this series started, I freaked out so excited because it's based on one of my all time favorite movies, Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> oh, did the, I did I tell you that? I'm oh, sorry. I'm interrupting you, but I have to tell you this. Um, OK. Uh, Lopan is going to be at Horham Weekend, so James Holland yes. is coming, and he's—I think he might. This is—he's going to be in costume. He's going to be in costume, and you can get a photo op with him. That's going to be so awesome. <laughs> Mr. The the Mr. David Lopan. Yes, yes. <laughs> David Lopan. So, but yeah, so. The first arc of this series, this is issue 14. The first arc of the series was actually co-written by John Carpenter. And it was really cool. It really captured the essence of the movie. Um, this second arc, it doesn't look like John Carpenter is contributing on. Um, it's kind of interesting. Uh, Jack Burton gets brought back from the dead and is sort of like in a cryostasis chamber and he wakes up in modern times so the first arc was <laughs> set in the 80s and picked up right after the movies left off um this one is set in modern times and he's discovering how things have changed his friend wang sold the pork chop express his truck oh. so now he's trying to track it down again oh my and god that sounds awesome <laughs> it's i if you love the movie you need to be reading the book because the the artwork is great, the the writing is um, in tone with the film, and it feels like the film just kind of keeps going. 
and I highly recommend uh, Big Trouble in Little China. This is actually done by Boom Studios. They do good stuff. Yeah, Boom has recently started acquiring a lot of uh, licensed properties, and when they got this one, I was extremely excited. So those are those are two uh, quote unquote indie books that I'm kind of looking at, uh, and I've got one from one of each from the big two. Uh, ladies, pick your poison. You want DC or Marvel first? Marvel. DC. Well, that did. <laughs> you like right, me better. Wait. Pick me. Pick DC. I'm hearing I'm well, I fired my head. It's a trap. It's a trap. <laughs> she's, she's the editor. Go with Marvel. All right. I'll, I'll go, I'll go alphabetically. We'll go DC. Um, the DC book that I picked for this week is the third issue in the new Batman Beyond series. Uh, this series is a, a reboot, not so much reboot, but it's a, another, uh, relaunch of a series, which Marvel and DC love to do is relaunch their series. Um, this one is kind of set. It's kind of weird because Batman in this one is not Terry. It's actually Tim Drake, oh, who is huh. the Robin who's come forward in the future and a quick you're like, they're kind of flushing out the backstory as the title goes on. And, um, Terry McGinnis was killed, but gave the bat suit to Tim. And now they're kind of fighting brother. I, and they're trying to keep the location of Gotham, a secret from brother. I it's, okay. it's interesting. It's interesting enough to keep, me reading it but i can see if it has a bad issue or two it would kind of cause me to drop it because there's nothing outrageously mind-blowing about it if you like uh the batman beyond world if you like the batman beyond story this is an interesting take on it it's an, a different spin you're gonna get like things you're not used to in this is the um, uh, artwork closer to the animated series or is it closer to what batman's doing right now this is more of a comic book style uh, art. It's not really. Uh, it's you can see how it's influenced from the animated series, but it's not like a straight up uh, Bruce Tim style mm-hmm. art. Uh, the art in this is done by Bernard Chang, and the arts the art's good. It's it's um, the pro- one of the problems I've had with DC over the past couple of years is that all their books kind of tend to look the same right they had very defined house style um but now with their post convergence titles they're launching a lot of new titles i see that they're kind of starting to get away from that and letting each book kind of establish its own identity that woman Uh, had some of the most beautiful stuff i've seen in a while with with the run that they did with like the painted look for her stuff yes Yes, if it's if it's uh, not, and at the time that like they were doing that with Batwoman, the character wasn't as popular as she is now. They they will kind of let you take a risk on a less popular character. Uh, but some of the books that they're doing now definitely have their own art style to them. Um, but again, it's it's a it's a decent book if you like the Batman Beyond series. It's decent. It's not outrageously mind blowing, but it's entertaining enough. Um, for Marvel, we have Marvel's doing, I don't know if you guys have seen, I'm sure you have, uh, they're doing a big secret wars event. Oh, yeah. And here's the, here's the 
basic breakdown of what Secret Wars is. All of time, space, reality broke, and Doctor Doom was able to access godlike powers of the Beyonder from the original Secret Wars, and kind of he picked and chose what he could from all these different alternate realities to try and save as much as he could, and he combined them all on one world that's called Battle World, <laughs> and. The realities are aware of themselves, but they're not, they don't interact with each other. So we're getting a lot of these small side series that take place on these different uh, parts of Battle World. Like one is like um, X-Men Days of Future Past. Another one is like Avengers Age of Ultron. Another one is, you know, X-Men Apocalypse. You know, a fantastic for like different parts of Marvel history. Just this one has um, they have the um, Star Lord and Kitty Pride, right? Yes. yes. I ship it so hard. <laughs> Sorry, that was so, like outside voice. So the book that I'm looking at right now is The Amazing Spider-Man: Renew Your Vows. Now, of all the side books uh... that are going on. This is the only one I'm really paying attention to because Spider-Man is my all-time favorite character. And whereas I will say Joe Quesada's run at Editor-in-Chief of Marvel was probably the most significant since Stan Lee's because of what he introduced and what he was able to do, essentially saving the company with things like the Marvel Knights line and just kind of letting creators do their thing. Uh, the one bone I have to pick with Joe Quesada is that he ended the marriage of Peter and Mary Jane. Yes! In, in a terrible, terrible story called One More Day. In which, which Peter you makes were, You were deal. mad about for like over a year. Like oh, I'm still angry about. I'm still mad about it. Yeah. But, <laughs> I mean, for a while. That Peter, like... Peter makes a deal with Mephisto to save Aunt May by giving Mephisto his marriage. And Mephisto wipes everybody's memories that Peter is actually Spider-Man because he revealed his identity in Secret Wars. It was just like it was a, a sloppy, sloppy way to clean up continuity they weren't happy with anymore. So Amazing Spider-Man Renew Your Vows actually takes place in that world prior to that deal being made. And what happens in the first two issues of this of the story is that Peter is married to Mary Jane. They have a child. Uh, they have a daughter. Her name is Anna, I believe. And her daughter has inherited powers. But on one night where this new villain comes in town, this new all-powerful villain comes in the town and takes on the Avengers, uh, Venom breaks out of the raft and goes after Mary Jane and Peter's daughter. And Peter has to go after Venom, so he can't take part in this huge battle with this big villain. And the villain ends up killing all the heroes. Oops. So <laughs> Peter defeats Venom, saves his kids, but then now he lives in this world where he has to hide. And he has to hide his powers and his daughter's powers. His daughter's inherited his powers. And just what happens of them having to reveal themselves and kind of decide to fight in this world. Uh, the art is done by Andy Kubert. Oh, Adam nice. Kubert. I'm sorry, Adam Kubert. And it's written by Dan Slott, who writes Amazing Spider-Man. I'm very, I enjoyed Slott's run on Amazing Spider-Man. Um, I think Marvel is kind of at a point where they don't know what to do with the character anymore. 
um, because they can't necessarily, at least as of yet, obviously we all know he's going to be introduced in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But prior to this, they haven't been able to monetize him in a movie standpoint. And Marvel's stance is kind of like, okay, if we can't put it in a movie, we're kind of going to bury it, i.e. Fantastic Four, unless it makes a lot of money, i.e. X-Men. So um, I enjoy this art. Kubert's art is always fantastic, so that is great. I think it's well-written. Slot's doing a great job. I would definitely recommend, if you're a Spider-Man fan, especially a Spider-Man fan of pre-Mary uh, Jane marriage going away, definitely check it out. Well, and I think it's funny that Convergence is happening in D.C., and then you've got Secret Wars. It's like, I guess that's how it is in comics. One, Marvel can't have a massive deal going on unless DC's having a massive... Oh, yeah. It's... it's Here's here's the thing. I when I I'm a comic fan, I would say first, and I've I've been reading comics my entire life. I grew up on superheroes. I love superheroes. I love the mythology. I love that these are kind of our modern day legends that we are kind of the caretakers of now. But to be perfectly honest, ninety percent of what DC and Marvel are producing now is garbage like each company has a couple books here and there that are quality and really good um but like for the first time in years i'm dropping batman what like i'm dropping batman because i don't even know who you are anymore (laughs) have you read batman lately yeah it's not no i mean that's how bad it has to be exactly because like i don't care about jim gordon and his Robo Bat Bunny suit. I just, I just don't care. Robo Bat. I do have to say, I liked the Wonder Woman one and two that they did for Convergence, where you got it was beautiful artwork and it was a cool story for those two parts. And then um, I think they did, uh, a, and of course it's vampires because it's it's me. But I liked the ideal behind that, and I thought that was really cool how they did it. And it was not a happy ending. They could have made it a really, you know, like a, a yeah. you know, typical, and it wasn't. It was not a happy ending. There was there was loss, and I really thought it was neat. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I'm not following any of the major ones. I'm, the I'm going problem, for like Dark Horse. Yeah. The problem is right now, it's it's all executive board controlled. It's What's going to make money? What can we sell? There's not a lot of like editorial decisions. There's not a lot of huge creative decisions. It used to be you'd have an event once every couple of years, and then you know you would have some fallout from that event. You would have some kind of readjustment of what the status quo is, and then you would just go on telling your stories for a couple of years before you become come to the next event. Now. We have an event every year from both Marvel and DC, and each event is like, it's the end of the world. Well, and you have to buy like 18 different copies of, of comic books to, to even be kept keeping up on it. it, yeah, it, and, it and that's just crap. It's, it's, what, it's what can sell. It's like Marvel has, I think, at their, at their peak, and this was before they started to weed some of them out, 
they had 17 X-Men related titles and I think 10 or 12 Avenger related titles. Well, and there's just no need for that. And if you go, there's way too much product out there on the shelves from both Marvel and DC. And you've got to look at the price point too, which is typically you're going to pay base minimum $3.99 for a comic, maybe $2.99. Yeah, ba- Some of them are price, five bucks. Yeah. I mean, but yeah. If you get in like a, a bigger, like a giant size or a seminal issue and they put like a nice glossy cover on it or something. Yeah. You're, pr- you're plopping down uh, five bucks for that issue. Yeah. You know, maybe Spider-Man Which, 600 where Peter Parker died air quotes. I think that was like a seven or $8 issue. What's, what's really hard about that is the way I got into comics was they used to have them at like the corner market in Tucson and they were 99 cents and it was easy to get your parents to give you a buck, you know? Yeah. And uh, I would just pick up whatever there was, and I it took me a while, and I was like, oh, there are storylines. Like, I used to collect Silver Surfer because they'd always have it at this place because no, none of the older kids bought it, you know? And um, I think that, that they're doing themselves a disservice because right now they're cashing in on our our generation and um, not just the nostalgia, but people who've just been collectors their whole lives, but they're not cultivating the next generation in the same way. Well, there, and I think that there's less all ages comics from the major two and there's more retread material. So I think they're going to slowly start to undermine our generation and they're not cultivating the next. And that concerns me as a comic fan. Well, and keeping the price point so high, um, at a bare minimum of $3 per comic, you now have to compete. They're not really competing very well with digital. Right. And, and yeah, I'm sorry. First of all, I go to my local comic book store. They sell out of a certain one I'm wanting. I can't right. get it anywhere else. So I'm going to go online, and I'll get it online because... I can I can buy it and read it on my iPad, but then you'll get Comixology and, and sites like that that do ninety nine cent sales. Well, and the 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 story has to be rereadable for me to buy it in print. I've been buying um, Sandman Overture. I think is the only title I'm currently doing. Um, I was collecting Hellblazer forever, and it just got to the point where um, I I couldn't I couldn't put the amount of money in for how many of that one title came out at one point they had hellblazer and they had Papa midnight and they had something. And then they had, um, monthlies, <laughs> monthly specials that ran for four or five and were a couple bucks extra. And I only collected one title, you know? So. Yeah. And I, it's, it sucks because these are, these are the books that should be the best. These are the books that you want to be the best. But right now, in all honesty, the best quality work and also cheaper is coming from Image Comics. Image is just dominating because they're all creator-owned and they they don't hold back on what, like, if they, it's it's what is going to be a good story. Is it a good story? Okay, let's put it out. Because right now, like, I'm looking at this week's issue of Deadly Class, which is a great series. I love the series. It's done by Rick Remender. And Rick Remender normally is not that great a writer, especially if he's working on stuff that he didn't create. But if he's working on his creator-owned stuff, it's really good. 
And it's an image book. They're up to issue 15. Um, it's a $3.50 book. Most image books are $2.99. And, but, like, Image has so many – obviously, like, Walking Dead is a huge title for well, them. Well, they have Saga, too, which is yeah, awesome. Saga is probably – the best I see, I've been reading Saga and Trade, but I think, and we're about ready for the next trade to come out. I think after this trade comes out, I'm going to single issues because I just can't wait for the trades anymore. And it's so like Fiona Staples and Matthew K. Vaughn have just created this amazing world that is has so much heart and emotion in it. And it's the the wrapping they put around it is this great like sci-fi meet like star wars meet shakespeare's story i I love it it's incredible it's so pretty too it's good it's just all all around good yeah it's so good okay guys i'm i think we have gone over so i my apologies hopefully you stayed through the end with us um i want to thank carl for being awesome and joining us on the show i hope i hope you enjoyed your first time out this was a blast yay cool and rachel thank you again for joining me on chante um so next week we will have i believe barb breeze is going to be joining us again so barb's coming back yay and possibly eric eric will probably be back too so it'll be like a return to the old school um but i want to thank you all for listening and join us next week uh, on fangirl radio and we will see you later fangirl radio out